All right. Uh, I encourage you to come back tonight if you're not familiar with the financial piece. Uh, short video, presentation of who's going to be leading the course, how you can get involved. Life-changing. It's something everybody should do. And don't be afraid. Uh, so much fear resides around our finances. And that's one of the reasons we did this uh, the Freedom Project was to be free from fear regarding the whole thing. You don't have to be afraid. Come and go through this process. And it's just a simple step-by-step process, but it's incredibly freeing and uh, an incredible blessing in the lives of everyone who does. Well, today I wanted to talk to you uh, more about the, the gospel. Last week we started a series called The Gospel of the Kingdom. And as I was thinking about this and thinking about uh, last week's message and this message really are focused on uh, God's love for us and God's love as the motivation for the gospel. Uh, I, I was thinking as I prepared the other day, I remembered that it was in mid-May 1975 that uh, I went to a Bible conference, a Navigators conference at St. Mary's Lake, Ohio. And on Saturday night at that conference, which just happened to be May 16th, which was last night, I sat behind this gorgeous girl. And she was one seat ahead of me and one seat to the left. And we were on the side of the auditorium that I had to look right past her profile to see the speaker. And uh, not only was she beautiful, but she was taking really good notes on the message. And so I knew she was serious about spiritual stuff. Now, I, I had no idea what the message was about. I was so focused on her the whole time. Uh, I, you know, I don't even remember who was speaking. I just remember sitting there looking at her and seeing how serious she was and watching her the whole time. But we got to meet the next morning, which would be May 18th today. And uh, at, the, at the end of the couple of uh, times we spent together, and it was just God's providence bringing us together out of the 300 people that were at this conference, uh, we, de- we decided to exchange addresses and started writing to each other. And uh, I-, I look back on that, and for me, I-, I think I started to love her that very first weekend. I think when I saw her so intent intently focused on this message and how, and I could just see how much she loved God through that. I think my heart, I started to love her there. And I know that after our first date, which occurred in July, I was living in Akron, Ohio, and Lori uh, is from Cincinnati. So it wasn't as quite as easy as, can I stop by and take you out for coffee? It was a bigger deal to ask her out for that first date. But I know at the end of that first date, I was in love with her. Now, I recently said to Lori, I loved you first. And she corrected me and she said, oh, wait a second. She said, I am the one that told you I loved you first. And so I was smart enough in those first couple encounters not to say I love you. Lori was smart enough that at the right moment and at the right time in the process, she did say I love you to me. And so we have a little debate going on as to who loved who first. You know, where did this start? How did it start? And while, while we might be able to debate that, there is a love that I know you can't debate, and that's the love of God. Where does it start in my relationship with God? Who loved who first? Well, the Bible's incredibly clear 
that we love God because he first loved us. That's 1 John 4, 19. We love God because he first loved us. It's not as if you and I loved God so much that we got his attention. And finally, when he saw how much we loved him, he said, well, I better return some love to them because they love. No, he loved us first. His love is the motivation. If you remember last week, uh, Wilson shared with us what the meaning of the word gospel is. And that gospel means an announcement of good news. It's like a proclamation of awaited news, good news. And so this announcement of the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is available, that God's power and life have come back into this fallen world, and you and I can encounter this power and life of God in a real living way. That's the good news. Specifically identified this, this idea of the gospel of one place in the New Testament. It's specifically spoken of as the truth that Jesus Christ died for our sins. So when he hung on that cross, he died for your sin and for my sin. And then it says that he was buried. And that means he fully experienced death. And he was in the grave for three days. And then it specifically says, and he was raised from the dead. He rose from the dead. And so Jesus, who encountered sin on the cross and took our sin on himself. And as a consequence of that, he died. He was able to defeat death and rise from the dead. And Jesus did that all as our champion, as our representative. Wilson shared with us uh, a, a, a theological perspective on this, that most theologians and most of the great theologies written say something about this, that there was a time in which the triune God convened in council. And God the Father spoke and said, how are we going to redeem mankind? What can we do to bring man back into relationship with us? What can we do to bridge this gulf and this separation because of their rebellion? How can we bring them out of rebellion back, back into relationship? And in that council, God the Son said, I'll go. He said, I'll go. I'll become one of them. And from Within the human race, I will destroy the very thing that is oppressing the human race. As one of them, I will face everything they faced and failed in. I will face that all and I'll succeed every time. And by that, I will have the power to destroy sin and death. And the Holy Spirit said, I'll come with you. I will empower you so that you can live as a real human being empowered by the Spirit of God. I will empower you. And Jesus came into this world, real human being. He made the choice not to use his own prerogatives of deity, but to live as a full human being empowered by the Holy Spirit, just like you and I. 
and to face all of the pain and all of the suffering that human, humankind can face. And in every situation, to be victorious. In every situation, to have the right heart before God. In every situation, to make the right choice. So that it could be said that he never sinned. Never sinned. And then as our champion, he went to the cross to battle sin and death. And he defeated it by taking it upon himself. And he died because he took it upon himself. But because he had never sinned, death had no grip on him. And he was able to overcome death and rise from the dead. And in his victory, you and I have victory. In his life, we have life. See, the good news of the kingdom is not a set of facts that we ascribe to it. If I believe these facts, then I'm okay with God. The good news of the kingdom is believe in this person who did these things. And then the facts fit in as a subnote. Believe in this person who is the son of God, who became man, who lived a perfect life, who took, took our place on the cross and who completely defeated death And he is now the victorious champion. And when we come to him, we receive life. That's the gospel. When we put our faith in him, real living faith, not ascribing to a set of theological facts, but faith in this person, we receive life. That's what the Bible talks about throughout. That is the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, Jesus talks about the gospel of the kingdom. In uh, Matthew 9.35, we read this. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So the good news, this announcement of good news of the kingdom is... The kingdom of God has returned to this fallen, darkened, sin-plagued world. The kingdom of God is back. It's reestablished in this world in the person of Jesus Christ. He demonstrated it through his ministry, through healing the sick, through freeing the oppressed, freeing the demonized, loving the unlovable. He demonstrated the kingdom, and then when he died on the cross, he took away any resistance to the kingdom, and he paid the price that established the kingdom here in its fullness. So that the kingdom of God is here now, and the good news is you and I can become part of it. You and I can become part of this kingdom of God. That is good news, isn't it? That's good news. That's good news that you and I can become part of the kingdom of God. Now, the question might come, how can I know? How can I know for sure I've become part of the kingdom of God? How can I know for certain that I have actually left whatever kingdom I'm in? The Bible refers to it as the kingdom of darkness. It's the kingdom of this world. Refer just to the fallenness of humanity, the fallenness of this world. How can I be sure that I've left that kingdom and I've entered the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ? How can I know for sure? Can I know for sure? Well, the Bible uh, answers that question. In John 5.24, 
Jesus is speaking and he says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone, you could translate like that, anyone, everyone, all who, everyone who hears my word. What was Jesus' word? This announcement that the kingdom of God's here. The announcement that if you believe, you can move from death to life. And he goes on to say that. He says, if you hear my word and believe him who sent me, that means believe God the Father, God the Father's testimony about who Jesus is. Whoever believes him who sent me has eternal life. They will never come into judgment, but have passed out of death into life. So he says believing means that we have eternal life. Not will receive, but have it right now. You see, eternal life starts right now. That's another way to say the kingdom is here. Eternal life doesn't start once you die and go to heaven. It was Jesus' intent to bring heaven here. Remember? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And so when a person puts faith in Jesus, real living faith, other ways the Bible describes that is we open our hearts and receive Christ into our hearts. When that happens, they receive eternal life. That moment, they they receive eternal life. You know, there's this thinking that all you can really do is do your best throughout your lifetime and hope that you get into heaven when you die. Do your best throughout your lifetime, and then when you die, God's going to look at your life, and he's going to judge your life. And he's going to say, oh, okay, okay, let's see, Uh, 51% good, 49% bad, you get in. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. 51% bad, 49% good, sorry, sorry, man. You're close. If you just had a few more years, you might have gotten up over that, but too bad. I mean, that's how a lot of people view relationship with God. But I've got to tell you, there's no good news in that message. That, that is a, that's a hopeless message. That's a message of weight and burden and heaviness and fear and anxiety and do the best you can. Well, I know myself well enough to know the best I can isn't good enough. I don't know about you, but I know the best I can isn't good enough. But the gospel, the good news is that Jesus has already done what we can't do. And what we do is we receive what he's done. And when we do, this verse says that we pass out of death into life. We move from this kingdom of darkness, this fallen world into which we were all born We're taken out of this realm, out of this kingdom, and we are moved into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God. We receive eternal life at the moment that we put faith in Jesus. Now, the question could be asked then again, well, is it possible to know for sure? It sounds like it's a certain thing. How will we know for sure? Well, first of all, this verse says, if we believe, there will be no judgment. So if you are a believer, if you've really received Jesus, 
then you're not going to face that judgment. There's not going to be that time of scales where God's going to say, well, did your good outweigh your bad? Because Jesus has already been judged for us. And he was condemned in our place. But there's a verse in 1 John that makes this crystal clear. 1 John 2. Verse 12, 13 says this. He who has the Son has life. So do I have Jesus? Have I invited Jesus into my life in a real true way? He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Pretty clear. And then he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John is saying, I I wrote this whole letter to you, 1 John, so that you could know that you could be, have certainty that you have eternal life. Now, what is that certainty, and how, do, how, how can we grasp that certainty? Well, in 1 John 4.13, really, you read the whole uh, letter of 1 John, and, and you'll see multiple places where he gives these little markers that say, yeah, I really do know Jesus. You see, the thing is, if I move from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light... When that transition happens, at one point, Jesus described that as being born again. He said, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And so there's a rebirth that happens. When God takes me from here and he moves me to here, I am born again. And kingdom of God, DNA, is infused into my system. I receive a new heart. And that new heart then develops new desires, new patterns of life, new understanding of truth, new desire for God, new desire to love God and to love others. You see, it's impossible to move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and not have something change. Something has to change. It might be small. It might be minor. I remember when I first came to know the Lord back in 1971, um, I, I was doubting whether I was really saved or not. And I was struggling with this. And I ran across uh, someone who had written something on 1 John. And in, in this book, it says that if we really love God, then we're going to love the people God loves. We're going to love other people. And I thought about that and I thought, wait a second, the people I'm hanging out with now were my Sunday school teachers when I was a little boy. I mean, I had been in the cool crowd. I had been hanging out with all the guys that, um, that were, uh, the party guys and all of that. At least we thought we were the cool crowd. And now I, I received Jesus and something happens in my heart and I'm drifting away from them and I'm going to, and I'm, I'm hanging out with these people that were not cool according to the standard that I had been living by, but I loved them. And I realized as I looked, as I, as I thought about that, something has changed in me. And when a person comes to Jesus, there are going to be signs that something has changed in their heart. And then really it's up to us just to nurture that and to feed the, feed our hearts and our minds with the word of God so that we develop and we grow. But first John four thirteen. He says this, God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. 
God has given us the Holy Spirit. And so if I want to, if I want to ask the question, how do I know that I've passed from death to life? How do I know I have eternal life? Well, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of heaven has come and moved into my life. I've been born, my, my, my basic DNA has changed and the Spirit of God has come to live inside me. And he produces new types of stuff, new desires, new understanding, new values, new priorities. And they may only be in bud form. It takes a lifetime to develop. It takes a lifetime to grow. But there's the, there's the, there are these signs in our lives that we've changed. I, you know, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the evidence is just, I want to read the Bible now. Maybe the evidence is, uh, you know, I, I want to be with this person that I really didn't care for before. Uh, I, you know, I want to pray with them or I want to encourage them. Maybe the evidence is just, I want to know God better. And this word intimacy, longing for intimacy with God is one of the core key evidences that we've really come to know Jesus, is that I long for intimacy with God. And that's where worship comes in. And just the presence of the Holy Spirit, presence of the Holy Spirit being here, and, and me saying, I'm going to take time. I could be on the golf course right now. I could be out cutting my grass. I could be doing so many different things. But I want to be with God's people and I want to worship. Now, that is a huge shift of priorities and thinking for a person who's been living in this kingdom of darkness all their life. To really want to worship. Want to be in God's presence. And so... We can know that we know him. And the Bible speaks about us receiving him, just opening our hearts to receive him. At the end of the service, I'm going to give a chance uh, for people to do that. Right now, I want to invite the worship team to come out. And I want us just to stay on this thought of intimacy that um, you and I, as, as children of God, with the Holy Spirit living in us, there is this hunger for intimacy with God. And to be in his presence and, and to sing about that, to talk about that, to say it out loud helps to produce it within us and stirs it within us. And so even as we sing, as we sing, I love your presence. God, I love your presence. I desire your presence. I long for your presence. When we do that, it, it pleases the Holy Spirit. And something stirs inside of us. And even something happens uh, to us corporately as, as we express that. So let's all stand right now. We're going to worship the next 20, 25 minutes. And uh, Father, we, we're so thankful we can know you. Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for your presence. Holy Spirit, come now. Flood this place with your presence.